This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I am joined by the whole crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today, we're going to be getting into the Georgia State Panthers' much-needed get-right win over Louisiana Monroe, as well as taking a look back at the first half of the 2021 season, giving out some mid-season awards. And make sure you stick around until the end of the episode for some big Thursday night news uh, for some content coming in the future. But first, Georgia State got back on a back on track in a big way with their 55 to 21 win over ULM last Saturday. Jordan, can you break down the Panthers' last game for us? What do we see? Absolutely. So it was a big win for the Panthers. Darren Granger drew the start at quarterback and settled the question at that position for the foreseeable future. He finished 18 of 25 for 230 passing yards and led the team with 84 yards on the ground, scoring five total touchdowns. On the field, ULM struck first with an early touchdown, but Georgia State rattled off four straight scoring drives and took a commanding 28 to 7 lead into the break. They pushed that lead to 35-7 on the first drive of the third quarter, but things got momentarily troublesome when ULM answered with a touchdown of their own and appeared to get an interception that set them up in great position. But when a booth review found Darren Granger had been the victim of a targeting penalty, the interception was negated and the Panthers retained possession. They would find the end zone on that drive to push the lead back to 28 points and poured it on from there. So lots of interesting stuff in that game. Gentlemen, I know you've got thoughts. Let's hear them. First off, it would be remiss of me not to mention this on an Atlanta University. Go Braves. Braves advance to the LCS and the MLB. A Braves fan, very excited for that to happen. And this is Georgia State pod, but it's an Atlanta pod, so I'm going to count that as a reason to mention that. Go Braves. Uh, this was a game I think that we wanted to see from both sides. It felt a little bit like the Charlotte game in the same way, where it's like you saw what you wanted to see from both sides of the ball to where you're like, all right, things are back on track. Uh, you know, big picture, I don't know that it changed much because I think you do have to say that ULM's not a great team, and I think we were giving them as much credit as they earned for beating Troy in what seemed like an impressive win, and I think there were doubts about Georgia State. But, you know, in retrospect, Vegas was right that Georgia State should have been a double-digit road favorite, and Georgia State well and truly went above covering, uh, scored 55, the most they've scored as an FBS team. And so a lot of stuff to feel good about. Uh, you know, we'll get into the nitty-gritty on it, but... I guess my my biggest takeaway is just things got back on track. We saw Darren Granger take the reins of quarterback, and I don't think he's going to let him up for a while. And something to continue to build on through the bye week and into the second half of the season. It, you know, it certainly was uh, an interesting game for Georgia State. Um, I, you know, I'll be even stronger in my thoughts on it. I think it was uh, the best game that they've played, even better than that Charlotte game. Um, I think Granger showed a level of comfortability that he has shown spurts of at times this year. Um, I think... You know, while it was great in that Charlotte game that he had, you know, those deep passes working, this was the first time that he had everything, you know, with a short intermediate, um, you know, those types of passes working. And I'll be honest, I did not think that Coach Elliott was going to start him before the game because... I kind of had a suspicion that given Quad's performance last week, 
Um, Coach Elliott kind of would see that the ways that he had improved himself over the first couple of games that he played. Um, the Warhawks are not necessarily the best competition and the best barometer for the Panthers. But at the same time, I know that, you know, the the Panthers still wanted to come out there and have a really good offensive performance. And they absolutely did that. You know, I, you could look at any number of stats uh, from what they did offensively, and it'll show you that that was just a team that dominated a defense. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Noel Ruiz missed an extra point and this game should have broken the school record for points in a game, but it's okay. you know, nobody should be mad at him. And, you know, hopefully this or not this week, but next week they, you know, get to that 56 and higher mark. I'd also point out that you and me went 0 and 2 in picking the quarterback for this game. We both said it was going to be quad. So uh, it's a really nice profession to be in where you can just be totally wrong and just hit the ground running again next week like nothing was. Uh, the thing with that, though, is that it just felt like, like you said, the passing game was what needed to get improved on. And I think we just assumed quad was the better bet. but you saw everything you were looking for from Darren in that regard. And so I, I don't have questions about that anymore. You know, I think that whoever was a quarterback, especially in the second half when it was you know, against app, when Appalachian state started kind of teeing off on the short stuff, it made it harder for anyone to have success at that part of the game. But, you know, you've seen it now from Darren in the, the really a quarter against Auburn, second quarter against Auburn, in the deep stuff he got against Charlotte. And now this game where you've really seen him just show comforts. And we saw so much more of the tight ends in the passing game, which I think was just a function of on the certain plays. They were the guy that were, you know, in the flat, the open guys, but I, we've talked all year, you know, about how much we think of this tight end group with, and Aubrey had a great game and he was just in space and getting, making catches and Darren was finding them open and having a lot of success. I, you know, I suppose we should probably just, start from the beginning and roll forwards and you know it could have been a very different pod we could be having right now because it started out feeling like one of those games where everything was going to conspire against you because it's scoreless uh beautiful michael hayes punt that a lot of people on social media were viewing the clip we posted of that and appreciate that uh we also enjoyed the punt just that much and it set ulm up in their own five yard line and Georgia State on the first play, both guys around the edge got pressure, got in, got to the quarterback, but a face mask penalty that didn't need to happen negated what would have been a safety for Georgia State. A couple of plays later, Keon Carter gets a targeting penalty, gets ejected, moves ULM to the 25-yard line. Two plays later after that, they score a touchdown, and it's like, oh no, this isn't what this team needed coming into this game. They needed to be the ones to take control. But at that point, Georgia State goes... High tempo, runs the ball down ULM's throat all the way for a score, ties it up. And then the second quarter, I think, is the best quarter they've played all year, even including that Auburn second quarter, which was also in a very impressive job and just totally took control of the game. And you sort of forgot that things might have gotten hairy there in the first quarter if they didn't immediately just reset the tone. Yeah, you know, it it it, it did feel like the game was just going to kind of get away from Georgia state. And then something just really flipped in the second quarter because Georgia state just stopped, you know, they just started to run the ball effectively. And by they, I mean, anybody who decided to run the ball forwards. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't even want to, 
I, I do want to highlight everybody because everybody had a good game. But I mean, Darren started to run the ball and he was effective. Tucker Gregg really kind of got them going uh, as the you know starting tailback. You know, you saw Jam Williams get involved as well. And it's just it's crazy to me because after the Army game, I believe Georgia State had they had like a less than 100 rushing yards. Um, something like that. And then, you know, after the, I remember us talking after that week, okay, is, is something wrong with their running game? Like, I know last year it wasn't as good as it was in 2019, but, you know, we didn't know the extent to the questions. And then you look up like four or five weeks later and they are doing exactly what they've done the last couple of years. And it's kind of incredible. I mean, they had 326 rushing yards for the game. And, what was really impressive to me about it, and we'll you know kind of get back into the game flow in a second, but um, there were three guys who had twelve rushes or twelve rushes or more. So it's not like anybody had you know twenty carries or anything like that. But nobody hit a hundred yards. You know, Darren was the leader with eighty four, and Tucker Gregg had eighty three. You know, Jam had sixty seven. But it was just it was so spread out that the three hundred and twenty six. You kind of are a little shocked that that was how high the number was given that nobody had like the crazy stat line that jumps out from the page on you. David, you actually, I was, you know, you hit on a point that I was going to bring up pretty well before we get back into the game. I did want to bring up the idea of, you know, we knew that Georgia state coming into this year was going to be a pounded on the ground, run first offense kind of team. And we had had some discussions in the preseason about, you know, where the state of the running back room was and where those rushing yards going to come from. I'm curious as to whether to throw it back to you, to Brady and David, as to this running back by committee situation that we saw in uh, specifically in full force against um, the Warhawks. Like, is that the kind of offense that Georgia state is operating in when they're at their, their peak? Or do you think that there's maybe a situation where one of these guys is the sort of the lead back and will either take that moving forward? Or do you think this running back by committee style that we've seen when it starts, you know, when it really works, um, you know, for example, in this game, is that what Georgia state is going to be doing when they're at their most successful in the running game? Well, look, I mean, I think if they had a Trey Barnett who is just popping 70 yard runs, just like at the drop of a hat, I'm sure that there'd be a guy who maybe would take it over. And I'm sure like anyone, you want a guy like that. You, you want a guy that you can say could get you a thousand yards rushing, uh, I, I was going to say at the beginning of the year, and we talked about it some, and I even asked Coach Elliott about it some, about how it was kind of a, a a group that had a bunch of guys that offered different things. But, you know, watching this game, Jam Williams showed some shiftiness and he showed some tenacity and plowing through some arm tackles that I almost needed to take that back and be like, maybe that there's this group of guys that can be a little bit more than just like Jam's the speedy guy and Tucker is the big boomer and Destin's kind of the all-arounder, but also can have that between-the-tackles type stuff. But, you know, Jam showed me something in this game. I was really impressed. He ended up being with third leading rusher, and he only got one of the touchdowns, and he didn't bust off one of the long runs like we've seen. But he showed me a lot with that, and, you know, I think that that's the guy who has that top line speed, and I think he has the top line speed. If you were going to look for a candidate of a guy who could really just take over that a feature back. I think it would probably be jam just for that fact that he's got that super speed. And then now we're seeing that he's got this more uh, tough running game to him as well. So, you know, I don't know that we'll see that, but 
I think what he just showed you showed that he maybe could have a larger role. You know, that level of versatility is really important. And it's it's kind of crazy because I agree with what you said about Jam in relation to the ULM game. But I, I don't think it can be discredited the fact that all of these runners do have like their own distinct style. And it kind of it really um, kind of sets the tone for what the offense wants to do. And, you know, there was a really good quote by the, uh, I guess, Los Angeles Chargers uh, head coach. What is it? It's Anthony something. Brandon um, Staley. Thank you. Brandon Staley. Wasn't close. Uh, you know, Brandon Staley, a few weeks ago, he he talked about how running the ball, even if you're, you know, you're not blowing up the stat sheet with, you know, these crazy amount of rushing yards. He talked about how running the ball uh, challenges teams defenses to be physical. And, you know, when I look at a running back like Tucker Gregg, yes, you know, in the Auburn game, he busted through the hole and had like that big 75 yard touchdown or whatever. That's um, just not 75. I'm still thinking about Trey Barnett. <laughs> uh, he had the 50 plus yard touchdown. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, the other runs where he was just going straight at that Auburn defense, you know, that's really hard to defend for, you know, however long that however many touches, you know. And then when you when Tucker Gregg wears you down in the first half, that's when you can go get a running back like Jam, who, OK, you're a little bit tired. You know, you, you want to be you want to try to cheat those matchups and cheat those blocks. All right. Well, now you've just got a dude who can run like a Ford five or something you know the little speedy h back and it's a lot harder to be physical and go after him you know and then you've got a guy like destin Coates who can do you know the best of both worlds and then on top of all that you've got darren granger who you know you've got to actually try to defend all 11 players on that georgia state offense and it's you know it's crazy like it, it's incredibly difficult to play defense for you know, obviously it's not like 60 minutes, but the game is 60 minutes. So, you know, to kind of bring it back to your question, Taylor, it's like, I don't want to sit here and say that it's a talent discrepancy and like somebody needs to take the mantle and be that Trey Barnett guy. I think it's just Georgia State has a Swiss Army knife of running backs and they use them in very specific ways. And, you know, when they're all working and, you know, being the types of backs that they can be, you can get a performance like they just had this past week against the Warhawks. Yeah, and tying it back into the game, Basically, the most simple way you can put of why Georgia State won this game is they controlled both lines of scrimmages. They did that all game. Uh, they had some penalties on that first touchdown drive that ULM get down the field, and ULM ran a nice fake on the touchdown that really they got a wide open guy for a touchdown. But even the first couple of drives where Georgia State didn't score, they were still moving the ball on the ground. You could see that they were getting going. And then in that second quarter, they just hit a new level, and you know they were controlling line of scrimmage. And I just thought it was really good complimentary football in the second quarter because you got the touchdown drive to go up 14-7. You got to stop. You got the touchdown drive to go up 21-7. And then Jalen Tate, who got burned on that first touchdown, first career start, met the moment in the second quarter and absolutely blasted the ULM running back, forced a fumble. Javon Dennis jumps on it at 34, and Georgia State steals another touchdown right before the half, after which they received the start and went down and got a touchdown, and that made it 35-7, and that's where you really had to go. ULM's going to have to pull several rabbits out of their hat to get back in this game, and it's... I don't want to say that Georgia State has never excelled at that, but there's... The teams that you want to emulate in this conference and in college football, those are the teams that 
make the most of the segments before the half and after the half. And Georgia State masterfully did that against ULM and just took the game over at that point. And to your credit or of your point of, you know, Georgia State controlled both lines of scrimmage. I think this was the perfect game to show how valuable bringing back all five of your offensive line starters can be that sort of continuity and opening up the run game and getting physical, not only on the defensive side of the ball, like you just mentioned, but also setting the tone offensively and then letting your, you know, the talent you have in the running back in the quarterback room really be able to sit back and work. Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like I've been the loudest critic um, of the offensive line this year. Um I, you know, I don't come from it from a point of hate, you know, I just think the experience that was there kind of lended itself to be, you know, what it was. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the experience was the differentiator between, you know, how Georgia State played this weekend, how they've played at other times this year. You know, they. I mean, I can honestly say that the offensive line was basically perfect. You know, um, I, I can't remember a single situation where it looked like the Warhawks were just getting in the backfield and, you know, causing the Panthers to be kind of under duress. If the Panthers weren't moving the ball, it was simply just an execution type of thing, which, you know, happens. You're not going to be perfect on every single progression, every single play. Um, but yeah, I mean, hats off to the offensive line. Like this was easily their best game. And, uh, you know, you, you want to see that con- continue. They, you know, they pitched a shutout. The Warhawks didn't have a single sack. Like that's, you know, that's really important. Yeah. I feel like nothing better emulates. It just sums up all the way we just talked about. Then that third and 20 play Georgia state's up 21, seven at this point, they just got the ball back on the fumble. And they got backed up. I think the one mistake you could maybe say for the offensive line, there was a holding penalty there that moved them back to third and 20. And Georgia State did a little like off tackle around Tucker Gregg. And I think they were probably honestly trying to at least make up eight yards, 10 yards, whatever, get tackled. And then Noel can kick a field goal to make it a three score game. But he just kept making moves around the edge and guys kept making blocks. Darren Granger went down and blocked a guy and he didn't get a huge part of him, but he did make the guy like take him out of the play for enough time. The Tucker went by and he gets 24 yards. It's a first down. Georgia State finds a touchdown there. And, you know, it's little things like that, that I think getting any yards there and getting Noel Ruiz in a position to make a field goal would have been something you get three score lead, but it's something else when you're able to get that just demoralizing third down pickup that you have no reason to get. And then you get in the end zone and it's a three score game either way, but being up three touchdowns, obviously better than being up two touchdowns and a field goal. And so that felt like just some summation of everything. It just, there's no reason you should have gotten 24 yards on that play that you weren't even probably trying to get a first down on, but it happened and it's credit to the blocking and credit to the running backs. And, you know, I don't necessarily think we need to be as granular with the second half, but I will say I like how Georgia State kind of finished that game and just played well in the second half until they, you know, eventually pulled their starters. Um, I think that there have been times in the past where State has kind of come out a little flat-footed in second halves when they've had... Literally last year against ULM. It was basically the exact same first half. I think that they led by 35-7 at half in that game, and it was 28-7 in this game, but... Literally the same opponent last year. They they kind of let off and yeah. That sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right. Like you know, that's they kept the pedal on the metal. Um, 
And, you know, that's important. Like, they, you know, there, there were some the mistakes. I think the Granger interception targeting weird play was in the second half as well. Um, and, I, okay, I, I didn't think it was targeting. I'll be honest with you. It looked like it was one of the, like, I think targeting should turn into, like, a yellow card, red card thing. If you're going to call the targeting there, I think that should have been of the yellow card variety. Um, whatever. Obviously, the interception wasn't a great throw, but it didn't end up counting. Um, but, you know, Georgia State, they got a touchdown off that drive, and they just they just played a complete game. And this is encouraging going forward, especially because this week is the bye week, and you kind of, you know, as we talked about in Upon Further Review, and as, you know, Jordan kind of mentioned earlier, realistically speaking the biggest question was with this team was the quarterback position you know i think we know that they could run the ball and they've run the ball well at times this year even before this um but now that the quarterback position probably has been solidified you just want to see the continuation of you know high execution reps and you know continuing to win battles because you know we haven't even talked about the receivers who also had a good game and we need to spend like some time talking about them but you know it just again offensively it was just seriously a great game for the panthers yeah you know on that targeting i think letter of the law leading with the crown of the helmet it was quote unquote targeting if you read what the actual rule says, but it does feel like a pretty bad misapplication. And like the it's supposed to be something where it's about danger to the head or neck area. And he was nowhere near it was planted in the middle of his chest. And so I tend to agree that, you know, if it was the thing where it was reversed, we would be talking about just a blatantly bad targeting call that went against Georgia State and rah, rah. But that said, that's not a Georgia State problem. You know, they got the extra possession that whether they should have had it or not, they did. They were still at their own 41. They still had to go down and score. And, you know, last week against or the week before this game against Appalachian State, they got that interception they threw. Robert Lewis forces the fumble. Pat Bartlett jumps on it. And Georgia State has life again. And they just proceeded to go three and out at that point. And App State put the game away from that point. So... We saw in that game, Georgia State kind of wasted an opportunity that they had to get back in the game. In this game, basically every opportunity they got, they took care of. They got a touchdown after ULM missed a field goal. They got a touchdown off the fumble. They scored when they got the the ball out of halftime, which isn't always a given. And they scored after that got called back. They get all of those touchdowns. And again, should men, you know, we were talking about the red zone going in this game. Perfect in the red zone. All touchdowns. Great game in that regard. And so I just think if you're looking for something that isn't just, oh, they played a lesser opponent than they've played and they won a game, it feels important that they did take care of those opportunities because that's what teams who put together wins and put together winning seasons do is when the other team or the refs or whoever gives them a chance, they don't let up. They don't give it a second thought. They make it happen. And that's what they did in that case. Suppose, you know, now I can use the time to filibuster um, about the receivers because <laughs> I please, didn't mention please it. Please do. Uh, I mean, you know, where do you even want to start? Because I think 
Okay, so we mentioned Aubrey Payne. I'll start there, actually. A is for Aubrey. So uh, Aubrey Payne had a good game, and we like you mentioned it, Brady. We've been high on the tight ends all year, uh, or you know, we've mentioned that this could possibly be one of the best units in the Sun Belt, if not the best unit, and it definitely showed. Like I think one problem that the tight ends have had, you know, in the last year, I suppose, you know, since Dan has been there, is just a lack of separation on certain routes. Um, but that, you know, that wasn't the case this week. You definitely saw Aubrey Payne kind of asserting himself and, you know, getting the separation after the Warhawks had to pay attention to other bodies and, you know, Granger and company, they definitely made him, they made the Warhawks pay for that. You know, I think this was this, I think he, Aubrey said that this was his first multi-touchdown game, like in his life. Ever. Yeah. All the way back to Pee Wee. Right, which is crazy. Um, you know, and like his longest catch, he had 58 yards in the game, six catches for 58 yards. His longest reception was only 15 yards. And I want to say it was the touchdown. Because um, I remember they were yeah, in the... it was one yeah. of the touchdowns. Yeah, they were in yeah, the red zone and he made like a move. They were doing... It was basically on RPO looks, basically all of the... The touch. The first touchdown he scored was he was out in the you know, on a route and in the end zone, he caught for a touchdown. But a lot, most of those catches, I would wager, was like an RPO look, and they just weren't covering the tight end. They were just so sucked in by the run that he was slipping out in the flat, and he was open, and Darren's like, yeah, I'm going to throw it to him. He's open. <laughs> and, you know, that's like... That is literally... You know, we, we talked about it a few years ago with Carter and, you know, Dan. Like, that's that's how Georgia State utilizes the tight ends. Like, the play that Roger Carter made at Auburn a few weeks ago, the one-handed catch down the sideline, like, those are nice. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I wouldn't do, I couldn't deal with a couple more of those every once in a while. But, you know, the big play for Georgia State is to just have an RPO, pick the pass option. Okay, the other team is not going to cover the tight end. Boom, there you go. There's a quick, easy eight-yard catch right there, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, that was the whole game for Aubrey. And, you know, I'm sure we're probably going to mention him a little bit later, but, you know, the leading receiver for the game was Jakaius Cradle. And, I mean, I really like Cradle. I'll just be honest and say it incredibly fangirly and blunt. Like, he's just... He's basically having a 2020 Sam Pinckney season, except there's more quarterback questions. Because... I don't know that I've seen a route that he can't run. And, you know, this game was kind of the first time you act, you saw the quarterback feed him on not the go route. And then he still caught one of those. I'm covered by three guys. And the quarterback puts it in a perfect place for only one person to catch it balls. Yeah, that fourth quarter cradle touchdown was absolute lunacy. And it's the type of thing where it's like, why does the quarterback want to throw that? But you also in your quarterback want a little bit of no, 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 no. Yes. Like you want a quarterback who's going to trust himself to make stupid throws. He shouldn't make because he knows he can make them. And he threw. Yeah. I think you pointed out to me when we were watching it back, he was the only one out in a route. Everyone else was back protecting. Yeah, it was literally, they had, it was like uh, 21, uh, 12 personnel, and like Payne is on the line and Carter's on the, like they kept the running back. It was literally just, cradle who went on a go route that was it that was the only person who really was doing anything the warhawks they saw it and they even covered it well he just got past everybody granger saw it and hit him and it was ridiculous after giving up a couple of those touchdowns to unc it does feel a little bit good to get one back in the the good column uh and you know you mentioned he had two touchdowns i think at some point and it might be after this game 
teams are going to start to be like, maybe we can't do press man coverage on Jakai's Cradle because it's the second game we've seen it. Charlotte did it, got burned by it multiple times. And on the first touchdown, guy was just right up on the line on Cradle. He just ran past. Granger hit him in stride right in the end zone for a touchdown. And you, with going into the season, if you, I think we were expecting Cradle could be good because he was a high, highly rated recruit, went to UCF, who's been a good football program the last five years. So I think there was an expectation from us that he could be a contributor. But if you had been like, Sam Pickney's basically not going to play because he's been dealing with some injuries. Cornelius McCoy, likewise, is going to be in and out lineup with injuries. I think that there would have been some real concern, especially just about playmaking, because we've seen that from Sam and we've seen that from Cornelius McCoy from the wide receiver group. And we went into the year being like, who's going to be a third option? But I definitely don't think we have that question anymore. Like Jakaius Cradle is doing that. And there's still going to be a time this year. I firmly believe we're going to see healthy Sam Pickney, healthy Cornelius McCoy, and then also Jakaius Cradle. So you know, how many times all three of those guys are out there just because of the way the rotations work, you know, I don't know. But theoretically, if there's a play where you've got those three receivers out, one of them's in the slot, I legitimately don't know what your plan is because any one of them could be going deep and could be beating your guy and scoring a big touchdown. And so really encouraging to see from that. I'd, we were talking about the run game because, you know, it's it's Georgia State's bread and butter. We talk about that a lot, but definitely could not go much longer without talking about the receivers because they had a great game you know the the funny part about that third receiver conversation is because it's cornelius mccoy and like that's not even to say that that's his talent you know that's just to say that georgia state has a plethora of weapons that they can use because the one thing that i appreciated about the auburn game when granger was struggling is how many times that he was overthrowing terrence dixon and the reason that was important was because they were really, really trying to get that inner. I think that route is a post. Um, I, obviously, there's no all 22 for college, but, you know, Granger's just coming. Not a post. Sorry. It's a deep drag. Uh, Dixon's just coming across the field and it's like eight ish yards or whatever, you know, eight to 12 yards. And he's just trying to hit, just throw a ball just right over a linebacker and hit him. And he just he kept missing. You know, uh, Dixon didn't end up in the stat sheet for this game, but you see the way that Georgia State likes to use their wide receivers. You know, I mean, Rob, uh, not Robert. No, it is Robert. Robert Lewis, you know, on the bubble screen on the outside. You know, they try to get guys to make a defender miss and, you know, get yards after the catch. You know, Pinckney got involved as well. And, you know, it's not the same level of Sam Pinckney. You know, he's been dealing with some hamstring stuff, kind of like McCoy has. But I think last year, especially, we had that question about the third receiver, saw the options. You know, Matt and Marshall kind of stepped up at times. Um, you know, there was different times where, you know, anybody else stepped up. Uh, Kadarius Thompson was a name that also he had a good game, I think, during the Arkansas State game last year. And Jamari Thrash has still been a re really reliable guy this year. Like we haven't even talked about Jamari Thrash and he's another guy that fits in that, you know, it's a it's a deep room. Exactly. And this is, I think, the first year that the room has just really shown how deep it was. And then on top of that, they've also had a guy like Cradle who can just be the you know number one option. And I mean, you're right. If if a defense has to cover a Georgia State running back and 
Pinckney, Cradle, and McCoy on the same play, or you know, one of those games where Thrash is just really getting involved. Like the reason we were so concerned about the short passing game for Georgia State was because this level of dynamic offensive weapons just puts so much more pressure on defenses. So even if Georgia State's defense isn't even being that good, it's really, really hard to cover all of those guys in one way. It's only the top teams that really can do that. And, you know, we spent all this time on the offense. We should definitely end on talking about the defense, which the first team defense gave up 14 points, held ULM under 300 yards. The numbers ended up being, you know, ULM got that last touchdown drive in the fourth quarter and they kicked up over 300 total yards on that. But I really thought the defense did what they needed to do. The front seven did a great job kind of just taking away any kind of consistent inside run game. And so it was making ULM go to the pass. Um, We talked about those early mistakes that kind of cost them and, there were some other ones that some David talked about this in the pond further review this week. So we don't need to necessarily go super deep into it, but the secondary showed you things where there were some issues, some just blown coverages. And we've, we've seen that in the past some, so you'd hope that get corrected, but we talked about in the preview for this game, wanting to see a good game, getting sack numbers. And we got, we saw three sacks and, you know, Jeff Clark made an unbelievable individual effort play. I, I don't know that you can play, that play any better than he did he immediately beat his guy off the line came up shoved the running back and as he's falling down tripped the quarterback up got the sack himself and that was a really big play it was a point where ulm wasn't out out of the game and it was a third and short and it pushed it all the way back to fourth and nine and the only thing they could do at that point was punt so it ended the drive and it's what we wanted to see because i believe if you're going to count the rush and the outside linebackers as part of the pass rush. All the sacks came from that group, including again, shout out Shamar McCollum got his first sack for Georgia state just came off the edge. he was, this was the second team, but he came off the edge and just beat his guy, got a sack. It's gotta be, feel, gotta feel good for him. And we sort of got what we were looking for from the defensive line this game. We did. And, you know, I think if you're going to talk about one aspect that they didn't do well, and I I know I'm nitpicking specifically, it's just that I don't think that they accounted for Chandler Rogers' ability to move the ball on the ground. And they made that adjustment like halfway through the first half. Um, Yeah, no, that's the important thing to say is that they did eventually, but early on it was killing them. Right, exactly. And, you know, it it was just a simple quarterback who was mobile. I mean, we've seen it with Georgia State's last couple of quarterbacks, and then it just stopped being a problem, and they had to go through the air. And, you know, I think there are probably people in the fandom who want to be a little bit more harsh on the defensive performance. Um, And, I, you know, I I think that's fair, but I also think – it was a weird week personnel wise. You know, this was the first game without Chris Bacon officially. Chris Moore uh, missed the first half because of the targeting penalty from App, the second half of the App State game. Um, so, there, you know, there was kind of some mixing and matching going on. And I think that doesn't necessarily excuse reasons why, you know, say Ant Lane got burned a couple of times. But I also think that like defense is sort of a we're all we're all in this together type of thing and you know we've seen the Georgia State defense play well this year so it's not like it's not like there is no precedent for how they played you know on the drives where the U, the Warhawks didn't score so you know you kind of take the good with the bad and like you said like the front seven put out one of those games that they needed to put out where the you know the pressure numbers actually kind of match the production and the sack numbers 
Yeah, a couple things on the secondary, and then you know I'm fine to leave it for this game. Uh, the second touchdown Yulem got, actually, I didn't notice this live. I saw it in replay. Quay White just he tripped on his own feet at the line, and that's why the guy was wide open. And so, you know, obviously the the coach, you know, the correction there is just don't fall. But that's not one where you look at it and go, what was going wrong there? There was a big blow in coverage. Like that was just like guy got turned around at line scrimmage and fell over. Like he's got way more balance just as an athlete than I ever could aspire to. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, ah, I got to stay balanced there. Like it happens. And you'll correct that and not fall over the next time. But so one of the touchdowns that the first team gave up, they were in the red zone. So maybe they're going to score anyway. But that specific play just felt a little bit unlucky, unfortunate, whatever you want to say. And then, you know, another thing we should mention, it, it took two tries and it still has felt like it was never going to come. But Georgia State's defense has an interception now. Fourth quarter, Kobe Suits checked in his back quarterback his first drive. After that McCollum sack, the next play, he just underthrew it. And Tavius Lane was in coverage, got the interception after he had had one called back on a penalty earlier in the game. And all is right in the universe now. I'm glad that it was Lane, too, who got the actual interception because, you know, it being the, what, the sixth game and Georgia State just now getting their first interception off of a team that, you know, surprisingly took care of the ball well up until this game. Um, you know, it always sucks when you make a good play and somebody else somewhere kind of makes a mistake and it negates that you're a good play. So I'm glad that it was Lane that ended up actually getting the interception on the stat sheet, you know, but there could have been more too. Like, I mean, Georgia State was in a couple of positions to, you know, make a better read on the ball and get an interception. Not quite to the level that, you know, I think it was a Ja'Cory Crawford or John Trey Hunter in the Auburn game. Um, but, you know, it was still a good game in that respect as well. And last, last thing is that, you know, that interception that Granger threw but didn't throw got called back. Georgia State forced two turnovers on the night. It felt like an important thing for both sides of the ball that the defense forced two turnovers. The offense threw an interception, but it didn't count. So they didn't have any turnovers. And it felt very important for both the defense to get back to their turnover forcing ways, getting two of them and for the offense to play a clean game. And I felt like on balance whatever on that individual play with Granger, I felt like you it was a deserved thing to where you could say Georgia State played a clean game on offense, and it felt warranted to be able to say along with that, and they had no turnovers. And so I just finished by that note, just saying that felt like a very good symbol of how the game went. All right, and we're going to move on to a special midseason awards uh, portion of the pod this week. So David and Brady have been chopping it up this week. Uh, talking about some potential bi-week um, uh, sort of content to hear um, to sort of look back on this first half of the season um, and give out some sort of, uh, you know, mid-season awards, first half thoughts. Um, so I'll let you to take it away. Um, so you want to start with the offensive MVP, Brady? Yeah, uh, this one's, I, there's, there's multiple candidates. We just talked about a few of them, but I'll offer up a name that we haven't mentioned specifically as a guy that, you know, the offensive line's never going to get that much heralding, but I would just say Travis Glover's done a really good job of left tackle. And in this game, there were some moments where he just absolutely came off the line and just mashed the guy he's supposed to. And I feel like traditionally left tackle is a position you think of as like best patch protector, but he's definitely shown a lot in the running game. And you can tell he just likes getting downhill and just hitting guys. And I think that he's done a really good job along with Shamir Skillmore on the left side of the line of really setting the tone in a lot of the games this year. 
Yeah, you know, I don't think that I've had any problems with Glover uh, and his play this year, despite my hypercritical offensive line eye. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like it's really easy to give this award, um, but I'm going to give mine to Granger. Um, and I think part of why I want to give mine to Granger is because I don't... Um, I'm not sure what kind of this, the rest of the season is going to look like. I'm not sure what the Sun Belt like awards are going to look like but i think if you really if you just look at all of the good that granger has kind of done outside of because he played the entire charlotte game um he played the first half of the he played most of no sorry he played all of the auburn game but the first half was really good um and then it was really just like the first two drives of the app state game that weren't good you know i think when granger has been on the field like that has been the most succinct that the georgia state offense has looked and you know i think the opponent that georgia state has played and the fact that he didn't play a ton versus army or unc kind of will keep his numbers down uh and he's doing his best to make that up um but i definitely want to give mine to granger because i don't want to give the you know most improved to him and we'll get to that later but I, i don't think that that's that's fitting of him so i'll give offensive mvp to granger all right, I, fair warning, I'm about to cheat on this next one. Uh, so the net, we're going to go defensive MVP, and I really can't separate the inside linebackers. Collectively, I would just give it to Jordan Benziel and Blake Carroll because they've both done exactly what's been asked of them. They're both the team leaders in tackles for loss and in sacks, and you know, Benziel's got a fumble recovery that he forced, and Blake Carroll's also forced a fumble. A couple of times, each of them have gotten to the quarterback even if they didn't get the sack, and I just think that they've set the tone for what the front seven is really wanting to do. And they're getting a lot of help from the front set, you know, the defensive line as well. It's not just them, but I think that if you look at like, why is the defense where it's at? I think a lot of the credit can go to the work that those two have done on the inside. Honestly, it's just going to be an all linebacker award because I could probably take exactly what you said and just apply it to the outside linebackers, both of them, and Ja'Cory Crawford and John Trey Hunter, because I love what I've seen out of both of them in their ability to, you know, if the assignment is get after the passer, get into the running, get to a rushing running back, they'll do it. You know, I've loved what I've seen out of Crawford in terms of uh, pass coverage. You know, I was very hesitant on a couple of those deep balls especially in the UNC game. But then, you know, when they weren't facing uh, Sam Howell, it got much better. And I think both of their coverage skills have been very good. And like I said, they've also still been able to get, you know, into the def- or offensive backfield. So I'm going to give mine to Hunter and Crawford. All right. I'm glad we both cheated at the same time on that one. <laughs> um, we'll round it out with the third phase, most important special teams. And look, I mean, there's only so many guys you can actually name for this. And I think they line up kind of perfectly and it's, I'm not going to break any conventions here. Like I'm going to give the MVP to Noel Ruiz cause he's made all the field goals, two extra points missed, uh, you know, didn't really factor into the results. So you can kind of let those by and he's done exactly what you've asked. And I think being a, a kicker for a coach Elliott coach team and coaches like him, it's tricky cause he's not going to get every opportunity he could cause Coach Elliott's going to go for it and forth and short and plus territory as many times as he can find the, you know, the reasoning in the game situation to do. And so Noel's not has been not had as many kicks as maybe he could have. But every time it goes out there, you think he's going to make it. 
And he's done really nothing in his two years here so far to say that that's not going to be the case. Okay, so I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I didn't actually think that you were going to go Ruiz because my special teams MVP is Michael Hayes. Like, I feel like every single time he punts, he's gotten a couple of bad bounces to prevent them from being down within the five. So they went in the end zone for a touchback. But I mean, the kid's got a boot and like, obviously we clipped the one highlight, but the, the Auburn, the Auburn punt that he had where he downed it on their two. I mean, that was incredible. And I, I think the, the gun, the gunning team doesn't necessarily get down fast enough uh, to allow some of the punts to be down where they should be down. But I, I just think that he has been such a weapon for the Georgia State defense because he's definitely bailed them out and keeping the opposing team deep in their own territory. And, you know, I think that's an often overlooked aspect of punting in college. You know, sometimes you'll have like an eight to 20 yard punt or something like that. And, you know, you're not being able to flip the field successfully. And, I, you know, I, I can't say that that's ever happened with Michael this year. So I'm going to give mine to Hayes. There's two special teams awards we're giving out. So just keep that in mind with the fact that I went with Noah Rees on this one. So like I said, I'm not making any kind of, you know, it, it's going to line up exactly as maybe expected with that, but we can flip around now and go back to the offense and go with most improved on the offensive side. And, you know, I, I kind of, have a you know, this could maybe be most improved slash newcomer just because I don't know. I guess take this whatever direction you want, but you know, I'll go most improved. I talked about him earlier. I think Jam Williams has had a good year and he's been able to take more of the share of the running back room. And, you know, especially with, you know, Destin has had his fumble issues. And so I think they were okay moving up Tucker to start, but they also wanted someone else to be able to also spell Tucker. And I think that he's done everything you've asked. And I think this last game, I won't talk more about that, but I think he showed you that he can be even more than what we've seen so far. And, you know, that's not the, you know, another guy you could mention is Tucker because Tucker's had a great year. He's done exactly what you asked for, had that breakout game against Auburn. And that was great to see, but I'll give it to Jam. You know, Jamari Thrash is a guy who I really want to give this award to um, just because he has been that kind of steadying force in the receiving corps. But I think you're right that Jam kind of beats him out and just barely. I think Jam has kind of really put it all together because like we, we've seen the spurts. Obviously, he's got the speed, but, you know, I think that shifting has kind of eluded him last year. And he he's he's definitely added a second gear this year and he's been able to produce much more than he did last year. So I'll give mine to Jam as well. Yeah, hey, I, we cheated. On one. yeah I cheated on the, uh, the defensive MVP one, so I wasn't going to give two this time. But if I could give two, I would have given the second one to Thrash. Defensive most improved slash newcomer, however direction you want to go. Um, I think because I gave the inside linebackers the MVP, I'll stay away from that one. And I'll, again, I'll go more unheralded, less spoken about type. But Thomas Gore has done a really good job of being kind of the backup nose tackle. And he's, I think, been getting more snaps there as games have gone on. He had a good game this last time against ULM. It just, he and he's got probably not the fourth most reps on the team but he's got the fourth most tackles as a guy in the front seven and you know linebackers historically rack up those and safeties get a lot of tackles so when you see a guy who especially isn't playing maybe starters reps getting that many tackles he's definitely doing something right and you know we'll obviously get into the future of georgia state's defense in the offseason but you're gonna end up losing dante wilson and hardrick willis and 
I just don't feel like there's going to be much of a drop off with, you know, Thomas score right there to just take that nose tackle position going into 2022. Yeah. I agree with that one. I'm going to give mine to Brightfeet Brown. Um, I think the cornerbacks, you know, we obviously know what Qua could do. And, you know, I think he's had a decent year, but I think Brightfeet has absolutely impressed me kind of being that cornerback two role. And, you know, he's, Georgia State does not play a shadow type of defense, which is totally fine. It's college, but he has definitely held his own against some, you know, more tougher. That's not English against some tougher assignments. And I definitely think that going forward, we're going to be hearing that name a lot when it it comes to better offenses being unable to move the ball on Georgia State. And then you're finishing it out. I did tease this when we just talked about it, uh, the special teams most improved. This one I will give to Michael Hayes just because, you know, it felt like compared to last year, Noah Ruse has been the same. So it felt weird giving him the most improved one. But I, I think that, you know, you talked about it when you were talking about Michael Hayes, the MVP. I think that there were more of those punts last year where there were a couple just like he had a good one, he had a bad one. And he's made a lot more consistent punts this year. And like you said, he's had some really great ones, ones that completely flipped the field and. I don't know how much of the gunner stuff is like he doesn't necessarily get as much hang time on punts because a lot of them are rugby. So some of that might play a factor in it. But I do agree that second half, that part of the special teams, got to got to help out 39 some more because he's definitely giving you some more chances, even more than he's already done of downing some kicks down inside the five yard line. OK, it doesn't feel fair, but I also want to give this to Michael Hayes, too, because he... it's all right. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, fine. that's the thing. He, like, he's a good teammate. Really he, wants good. To, he wants you to, to get Michael his credit. Right. Like, Noel's really good, and he has not been a problem. And I think Michael has stepped forward from last year. So I feel like I have to give this award to Michael this time because, like, you know, I already talked about it before, but he's just done such a good job of allowing Georgia State to flip the field. And, you know, the consistency on his punts has been great. And we'll finish it up uh, with the offensive and defensive breakout player. And we'll leave off special teams just because <laughs> there's not that many more guys you can specifically talk about. And I don't really know what a special teams breakout player entails. And so we'll leave that uh, maybe for the future. We'll talk in, at the end of the year. We'll, we'll be like, oh, we should have talked about that guy. Uh, but for the offense, you know, it's tricky because Georgia State's got guys that we would have expected going into the year to be the guys contributing. And so... I just don't think that we've seen the Sam Pickney we've saw. And so I think if he gets healthy, he's the obvious guy that you look at his first half numbers and there's, they won't look any different if he can get back on the field and play some more snaps. And so it's the best, you know, one of the more talented guys on the offense. So maybe it's a little unfair to just pick that, but I, we haven't really seen him get a chance to show what he has done in the past. And I think the more weeks go by and the more he gets back into the flow of things, he can definitely do that. Honestly, you read my mind. Uh, Sam Pinckney does not have 100 yards on the season, and this is a guy who I think he had like 300-yard receiving games last year. Um, as nice as it has been that Jakai's Cradle has been as good as he has been, defenses still have to worry about Sam Pinckney. He's still one of the best wide receivers in the conference. Uh, I mean, if not the country, um, his catch radius is still ridiculous. You know, you got to see a little bit of that firebrand play against App State, you know, where he kind of caught a ball a little bit intermediate and then got a, like eight 
ish yards after it. And, you know, I, I just hope that the hamstring gets better as the season, you know, in the second half of the season, because if he's healthy at all, I mean, good luck having to cover Pinckney and Cradle at the same time, because I don't know how you're going to do it. And here, I, I have a suspicion we might possibly have the same answer on this defensive one. So I'll let you go first on this one. I'll, I'll let's see if my suspicions are correct. Ah, oof, but I think that's tough. Um, I'm going to go Javon Dennis. No, right, I'm going to go. Oh, okay, good. Go I'm going to go two options. I'm going to go Javon Dennis and Trey Moore because I okay. really think. Neither of mine. Okay. I, I really think the offense, or it's not the offensive line. The defensive line is going to take a step forward. And I like what I've seen out of Willis and Wilson this year, obviously, but. I think that Georgia State has such a good amount of guys who have shown spurts and have shown, you know, their ability to get after quarterbacks and they've just been a step too late. Um, you know, I didn't even mention Jeff Clark, but I I think that it's going to be uh, Dennis, Dennis or Trey Moore. That, those are my answers for that. All right. Well, again, I'm going with a guy who is maybe one of the more heralded guys on the side of the ball, but I think the interception gets Antavius Lane going and we see – the guy who makes plays every game always can lay down a boom, maybe force a fumble, get an interception. He's my breakout candidate because I think that interception, you know, it's been it's been had. There has been a takeaway wherein the opponent threw a ball and you caught it, and I think that that's going to get him going for the second half, and we'll we'll see more of what we saw in 2020 from him going forward. You got the monkey off your back, so you know now it's just about catching up to the conference leaders, right? Six games. It's totally doable. Just get three a game. That's it. Easy. So moving on to a listener question this week, we have from Carlos at one nasty drip on Twitter wants to know with six games left, what possible record could the team have at the end of the season? Gentlemen. So uh, we touched on this some last week, you know, a game previous to this. And I think that this game, like I said, at the start of talking about ULM, that I don't think this changed much as far as thinking anything more from Georgia State. It just kind of showed you what you thought they could be again, and they did it in a game, and so you feel good about that. And so, you know, you look at the schedule, and I said 5-2 and two last week was possible just based on who was on the schedule and how they played. And so you look at it this week, going 4-2 and two the rest of the way to finish 6-6 six and six, without breaking a sweat is definitely doable. If you play like you did against ULM, you can beat Texas State, you can beat Georgia Southern, you can beat Arkansas State, you can beat Troy. You still have those two big games against Louisiana and Coastal, both back-to-back on the road, and those are tough no matter how you swing it. You know, We would have said that before Louisiana went on Tuesday and just absolutely beat down App State. Uh, so, the, you know, I guess it's kind of the same as it was. I'd still say 6-6 six and six is a very possible outcome and it's going to take playing more like they did this past game. Yeah. I mean, I think the big question with the quarterback position we've had is who is going to be the guy. Okay. Coach Elliott said last week that whoever was the starter against the Warhawks is going to be the guy going forward. You know, doesn't want to do a dual quarterback system. Totally fair. Granger had easily the best game that he's had all year. You know, the running game was easily the best game that they had all year. And so the question now becomes about consistency. It's all about the reps. It's all about continuing to find the execution. And break right, six and six is right there. You know, and even if you get 80% of the offensive capability that Georgia State just displayed against the Warhawks, 
Georgia State can absolutely go upset one of those two big names that they have to play on the road this year. I firmly believe that. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to get to the seven wins just like that. Obviously, they have to go play the games. Obviously, that's, you know, going to be difficult. But the opportunity is absolutely there. And, you know, a confidence-building game like this game against the Warhawks and then the bye week and then, you know, playing another it should be good opponent in Texas State. That should just help Georgia State kind of going forward and, you know, get hot at the right time. This week in Sports Bits, women's tennis is going to be at the UCF ITA Southeast Regionals in Orlando, Florida, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Women's soccer on Friday, traveling to Arkansas State in Jonesboro, Arkansas at 4 p.m. Softball is hosting the Blue and White World Series games on Friday and Saturday at the Bob Heck Softball Complex. Volleyball, Friday night, traveling to South Alabama at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Saturday, the 16th, looking at women's golf, traveling to FIU for the Pat Bradley Invitational in Sarasota, Florida. And that event will continue on to Sunday and Monday as well. And then Monday and Tuesday, men's golf, traveling to Kennesaw State for the Pine Tree Invitational. Monday and Tuesday for that. Of course, it is a bye week for football, so we'll be back at it again with football coverage on the 23rd. And now one last bit of business before we get you out of here this week. The uh, long-awaited Thursday night news hinted on earlier in the podcast. We are excited to announce the launch of premium Thursday night coverage via Patreon for just $5 a month, beginning with the homecoming football game versus Texas State on Saturday, October 23rd. In case you're not aware, Patreon is a subscription-based membership platform that allows fans to support their favorite content creators and, in return, receive exclusive benefits and access above and beyond what the general public gets to experience. So what does this mean? First off, our normal coverage you know and trust isn't changing. This podcast and upon further review, as well as game previews and recaps, will still be available completely free as they are now. It's extremely important to us that the core of our mission, providing quality, independent coverage of Georgia State sports, remains completely free for everyone to enjoy. But it also means that your support as a patron will allow us to expand our work and enter the next phase of coverage here at Thursday night. Patreon supporters will have access to the following Patreon-exclusive perks. A special patron-exclusive postgame podcast giving our immediate reactions, win or lose, after every game, a special written piece separate from Upon Further Review on the Monday following each game, breaking down the details we pick up as we rewatch the game, early access to interviews before they're publicly posted on ThursdayNight.com, and much more to come in the future. So if this sounds good to you and you want to support what we're doing here at Thursday Night, you can head on over to ThursdayNight.com and click the Patreon link in the top banner to check out the benefits and learn how to sign up. Thanks so much for all the fantastic support you've given us over the past two and a half years. We're looking forward to continuing our normal work and expanding what we do with your help on Patreon. So thank you so much for listening this week. Hope you'll check out the Patreon stuff we've got going on, as well as the other coverage we've got going on for the rest of this week. Have a fantastic time, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. The 
Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.